Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hi Liam. Hi Johanna, how are you? I'm very well thank you. Are you feeling spooktacular on the day before Halloween? Oh, absolutely. And I have a special treat tomorrow because we're going to Enchanted Forest in Pitlochry, which is the annual light show. Do you get there by so, public transport? You have to go by public transport because as part of your tickets, they lay on buses. This pleases me. It's uh, very good. I think it's because there's no parking there, so it's much easier to, right. to go by bus. Um, as much as our guests, uh, sorry, as much as our audience love to hear from us, we do have a special guest on the line joining us today. So um, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but handing over to you, Natasha. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm Natasha Marseille. I'm the Accessibility and Inclusion Strategy and Policy Lead at Network Rail, which is the world's longest job title, I think. Um, but I work in the system operator team within Network Rail, so centrally, not in a route or region. Uh, and I look after all of the customer experience side of accessibility. Um, so in my opinion, the fun side. Um, so everything to do with customer uh, in our managed stations, passenger assistance, um, mystery shopping, and then the relationships with our regulator as well. So the ORR and the DFT. Could I? Sorry, I'm just picking up on one thing. Sorry, I know we have loads of questions. So I'm going to jump in with something else, which is you mentioned it's the customer experience side of accessibility. What would the other side? Yes. Um, built environment. So um, all about sort of the building of stations, um, bridges, um, anything like that. So thinking more about sort of um, impact assessment of, of what we build and the, our infrastructure. Cool. All right. Thank and you. then I guess there's the website of accessibility as well, but that sort of rolls into my job. So how accessible our website is and our communications and things like that, that all sort of falls into my area as well. But if you were splitting accessibility out, that would be another side of it. So that's, that's quite interesting, sort of like Liam bringing up that differentiation, the fact that, you know, it's split between... Um, your role saying that it's all to do with everything to do with the customer and the separation with the built environment because um whenever we think of accessibility or it's the way it's directed is that we always think about the changes required to the infrastructure in order to make um stations and the railway more accessible yeah absolutely and i think it's it's a it's such a huge area you know not one person could do it all um so i my colleague lorna uh, does all of the built environment side of accessibility and she's got an engineering background and um, is definitely super smart with all of that. Um, I, I would admit it probably goes over my head a little bit, but um, some of the intricacies of it all, she's amazing at just being able to quote an exact policy and things, which blows my mind. But um, there's so much customer experience side, which makes accessibility, you know, sort of flow and and you know we can have really accessible stations but then if our staff aren't trained to support people or use the right language or how to deliver passenger assistance properly or you know if for example the built environment would build 
um, uh, an, an accessible toilet, for example, but then a customer experience angle would say, okay, but how do we make that stoma friendly? So for people who are stoma users, so yes, the room is big enough for a wheelchair user, but do we have the right amount of shelves or do we have a, a long enough mirror to help stoma users or two hooks and things like that? So it's the sort of softer side of accessibility, really. Um, the things that make the experience is not just accessible, but inclusive. So that's so that is also really interesting, you know, sort of like you know honing in on some some of the detail on that because we do think of when I mean like again when we think of accessibility, we are always thinking of you know people that are in wheelchairs or who have mobility mm. problems and that. And actually, the the issues of accessibility are quite wide. So so what sort of what what do you see you know within that realm of everything, particularly you know sort of you know what what are the big challenges in terms of being able to meet all of those different you know accessible needs i think that's so difficult because you know you can do one thing that makes things easier for somebody which in turn makes things more difficult for somebody else so i don't think the perfect station actually exists you know if we think about tactile paving it's so vital for blind and partially sighted people to stay safe especially around platform edges but then some wheelchair users might say, actually, it's really uncomfortable to, to be over tactile paving. You know, I have joint problems or I, there's lots of other reasons why people would find that really uncomfortable. And it's having to balance that experience with safety and lots of other things to make sure you get the sort of right blend. And I think it is difficult because the sort of universal sign for accessible is a wheelchair. Um, and people just automatically think, oh, we need to make things accessible for wheelchair users. But there's so many disabilities that aren't even visible disabilities. We think about dyslexia or people with neurodiverse conditions, which who would struggle to navigate or to perceive a train station in the way that other people might. But that's not what people think about when they think about disability and accessibility. And so my job is to try and balance all of the needs of everybody and and try and at least um, satisfy some. <laughs> so would you say that you have to get, would you say that the getting by stuff is more difficult when it isn't the visual disabilities? Like, do you have to convince people to spend efforts on different types of disabilities? Probably, only because if you think about physical accessibility, you've got things like PRM, so personal reduced mobility, there's there's legislation in place which shapes what our buildings and spaces and places should be like. So, you know, doors should be a certain width and information should be at certain heights so that people in wheelchair users or people of shorter stature can access them. Um, so all of that stuff is sort of baked into the design. And, and although, you know, as accessibility professionals, we have to keep hammering that home. You have to do all of these things. You have to make this accessible. You know, people have to do that because that's what's commanded of them. Whereas when we start to think about other disabilities, it's, it's potentially easier to mitigate against that. You know, if we think about wayfinding, oh, you know, signage at station isn't accessible for blind people, mitigation. Well, we do passenger assistance, so that's fine. 
And it's not because not everybody wants to get passenger assistance. Not everybody needs to do that. Um, so we need to think about other ways of helping people navigate the space if they can't navigate with the signage that's provided. Um, and that does take more convincing. Um, and I think that's a shame because, you know, everything I do, people want to know what's the, you know, what's the cost benefit? You know, what, what are we getting back? And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a cost benefit to make it the right thing to do. It can be an experiential benefit or it can be, you know, somebody's dignity or pride or confidence that we've improved by doing changes at stations. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and it's certainly one that at the minute I feel like I'm winning. Um, so, you know, long may it continue. So I think that's interesting that you mentioned cost because that is because I'm in, particularly at the moment, I'm in like, these are quite cost constrained times with you, mm. the price of everything going up, but also the challenge of um, getting people back on back onto rail. And I think, mm. you know, that is interesting because whilst, you know, numbers have recovered, that um, the, the travel patterns have changed, but because travel patterns have changed that has impacted on revenue despite the numbers so so how do you make that argument you know that and it's kind of it's not really the accessibility argument I think because I think you know that is probably a way that we've been changing is it's about making services inclusive so so how do you go about winning that argument not just sort of like you know within network rail but also with you know other stakeholders you know like train operators and that I think the purple pound is really interesting. So the purple pound is um, essentially uh, how they work out the spending power of the households of people with disabilities. Um, and there's lots of information around, you know, how much do disabled people spend in transport and how much could they spend in transport if it was accessible um, and there's lots of different other statistics around, you know, how many disabled people abandon retail opportunities because it's not accessible or how many people don't travel on public transport for a year after they've had a poor experience. So all of them elements sort of go into making your argument, I guess, and your case for why we should do that and why we should support people. Plus, I mean, there's nearly 15 million disabled people in this country, which makes up a massive chunk of the proportion of the country. Um, so actually, you know, if we don't make things accessible, we're starting to ostracize a really big chunk of people um, whose money is just as good as their non-disabled counterparts. So, you know, when we put in a CIS screen, for example, we never once question oh, well, is that the right thing to do? Is that what we should be spending money on? Well, no, because that's, you know, that's how we give customers information. That's what they need to be able to travel. So that's a good spend. But not all customers can interact with that. So there needs to be other things that we put into stations and other um, opportunities and avenues that we go down for customer information, which do also cost money, but then reach out to those customers who can't interact with a CIS, for example. So you know, it's making that balance and that case in need. And I think the way that how funding rail has changed since the pandemic. So we talked about train operators and now we have business plans and business plan commitments, which is sort of a yearly rolling 
um, sort of way of, of asking for money and saying what you're going to deliver actually probably works a lot better for accessibility because it gives you a lot more opportunities to be um, more responsive to what customers need, to what traveling habits look like. You know, when you were doing five-year plans, it's very difficult to sort of assume what people would want in five years' time and make sure you've got the money for it or the ability to deliver that, whereas now you can be more responsive to how things look or, you know, what technology is new. We're in an environment where technology is so rapidly improving to and improving opportunities for disabled people as well. So, you know, putting companies in the position where they can apply for that funding or they can pivot into something else or they can work with other train operators to make a more seamless experience is only a positive really so it's um meant steering the conversation onto the use of technology and mm. just thinking about you know um some of the you know the early announcements of um of um, the government this year and I, and I don't really want to really explore um sort of like the closure of, of ticket offices that have been proposed but um, but more from an accessible point of view because a lot of a lot of people um um fed into the consultation on the basis that people with disabilities use ticket offices more so so there's that kind of angle of it you know in sort of like you know the the human interaction that maybe disabled mm -hmm. people or people with mobility needs need need a bit more of that support but also the the opposite to that is also you know how are people with additional mobility needs or disability needs you know accessing um, technology and using technology in order to aid their journeys so there's sort of two elements to that. So data from before the pandemic said that 40% of disabled people were digitally excluded. So didn't have access to the internet or the internet wasn't accessible for them in the way that they needed it to be. Um, I would argue that the pandemic has probably accelerated people's digital abilities because of need. Um, and people being more isolated at home and having to use the internet or digital offerings to support them. So I wouldn't expect that that number is as high now, but there isn't solid data to sort of support that thought process. Um, but there's so many things that people, you know, use to support their traveling habits. So um, at some of our stations, and it will be all of our um, managed stations by the end of the financial year, we've got Good Maps, which is um, an indoor wayfinding technology, which was originally designed for blind and partially sighted people to help them navigate around the station using LIDAR maps so they wouldn't necessarily need to get passenger assistance. And that's had sort of other multi-benefits, so around... Um, alternative so non-english speaking customers can use multi-language support on there um it has step-free access for wheelchair users or for people with lots of luggage or prams um, to be able to navigate around the station especially if they can't um, use the signage that's provided at stations um 
we actually did a film for for this a few weeks ago and um one of the people who was in the film had brought his wife along and she she said oh I'm actually terribly dyslexic and I don't come to stations because I can't read the signs and I didn't realize that there was things like this that could help me and I'd never thought about it from a, a perspective of people with dyslexia so it was just another use case um there's you know even apps for um what platform your train's going on or station information or being able to buy tickets on online opens up this sort of world to people digitally that may have struggled to use a TVM for example or may have not been able to read a timetable when they were very small or CIS screens are too high up so there's loads of different technology out there that people can utilize to help them travel um, independently do I think that takes away from, you know, that human interaction? No, I think it's still really vital that people have people that they can ask. You know, we can put up as much signage as we want at stations. I'm sure anyone who works operationally will say they get asked 10 times a day, hi, where's the way out? How do I get out? Um, people just like to be able to speak to people or to interact or they, they have more um, trust in in what people tell them than what digital products tell them um so i think there's always a need for people but um there's lots of things that we can do technology wise to help give people a bit more confidence as well natasha you mentioned uh the good map system which i have used i have done a trial for at euston which was very helpful um but then you sort of you went to list off a lot of other solutions that might be out there for people but do you is there a sort of like do you now need a guide to know which system you need when you go to which journey to which support <laughs> there? That's so funny because what we preach all the time is consistency. We need to give customers a consistent experience on how to use stations. We don't, you shouldn't have to download 10 apps to be able to get across the country because that's just not viable. And like you say, is there a glossary that tells me what I need at what station? It's just, it's an insurmountable ask. So what I'm really sort of consistent about asking for is, can we have the same systems everywhere? And that's why Network Rail have pledged to have good maps to all of our managed stations. I know Transpennine Express have got good maps to all of their managed stations now. Avanti are doing five of their stations this year and finishing them off next year as well. So, you know, I know Scott Rail were starting to look at good maps and other operators as well. And, you know, it's it's hard because, you know, there's there's lots of suppliers out there who do similar things. And it is, as an industry, we have to test all of them things and, and come up with parameters of what we would expect, um, you know, a product to be able to deliver. So when we think about good maps, we want something that's free at the point of access for customers. We want something that doesn't put in hardware at stations because we have a lot of um, historical stations that are listed that you can't start, you know, drilling and putting beacons and signs up and things. And we wanted something that people could use in their their day-to-day -day life as well um, and have that first and final mile sort of um, support with as well. So, you know, we tested lots of different systems, um, Network Rail did, other operators did as well. And it's coming to that consensus as an industry and saying, this is the right thing for us. This takes the boxes that we need it to tick and this supports customers as well and getting all that customer feedback together and going with a supplier and, and I'm sure 
you'll have um, heard from many of the people who've been on this podcast that um, rail is not a fast moving beast. Um, you know, everything takes um, its sweet time. Um, so, this, you know, this has been something I've worked on since 2020 and now we're nearly in 2024. Um, and we're starting to get there, you know, we're starting to get the adoption. It's the same with British Sign Language. Um, you might have seen the BSL totems at stations and Network Rail are pledging to have them at all their managed stations as well. And I know other operators, so Chilton, um, Southwestern, Transpennine Express, I know LNER are doing things with BSL. Um, and it's so important to have that information out there. You know, there's nearly 90,000 people who rely on BSL to help them travel. And when we were talking earlier about revenue and how do we get more disabled people into to travel again, you know, them 90,000 people have now got something out there, the confidence to be able to get them to travel. And we did something at Birmingham New Street a few months ago with um, the Dudley Deaf Children's Society. And her mother came along to that and she said, oh, I can finally, you know, feel confident letting my kids travel because before I thought they'd be stranded or I didn't think they'd be able to get on the right train or no one would be able to communicate with them. And now they can. And, you know, that's, you know, selfishly, that's the lovely thing about this job that you can walk around the station and you can see people use things that you put in and and give them the confidence to travel and it, it's it's quite a um a selfish buzz i guess i'm very passionate is there um <laughs> is there any solutions that aren't out there that you'd like to see invented oh i was having this conversation earlier actually you know there's so many things out there like innovate uk and different innovation zone competitions and you know but we get um i was reviewing the second year um people who've applied for the bristol innovation zone that we do the other day and there's some amazing applicants but to me I'd, i'd love to see somebody come up with something to support level boarding um you know whether that's some kind of ramp that I can deploy from a train or what I don't know I'm not a visionary but um I'd love to see some somebody come up with something you know really intuitive that would speed along the the level boarding conversation because that would be truly game changing I'd love to see that I, I laughed at that one not not because it's funny but because um because I live on the um the Highland main line in Scotland and um ah. some the, and some of the platforms between the platform and the train the, the interface is about a foot so even if you're wow. able bodied you struggle to get on um, on the train and um I'm I'm sorry I am going to um name check one of the stations on the line because it is it is quite amusing sometimes to watch this but uh, Dunkeld have come up with a very it's an unmanned station all the time and they've come up with a very simple solution which were, would work if you had all the same rolling stock um traveling all the time so every time mm. a train pulls up you have to move these they have these little mobile steps that are on wheels that you have to move along to the train carriage in order to get oh onto the train That's <laughs> um, i would say it'd be okay if the train stopped at the same place or it was the same train every time i mean like it does work and it's a cheap solution but it's not really what you want in the um in the 21st century and of course it's whilst it works for able-bodied people it does not still does not work for disabled people mm, no yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the problem abilities. there's too many 
there's too many different types of rolling stock and there's just such a wide variety of different platforms you know we've got a victorian infrastructure um which doesn't lend itself to being maybe the most accessible um so yeah it's it's definitely a challenge um and i know there's some super smart people working on how do we think about that and how do we start to move towards a level boarding um world but um yeah i'd love to see somebody come up with something something really cool because i think you know on that solution as well is that um and it, it it often comes up in conversations with in in innovation circles not just within in um um within um rail innovation group members is just some of the the barriers as well to um being mm. able to um come up with solutions because i think you know because obviously the platform train interface not only you know is it an issue for accessibility but also it's one of the biggest causes of accidents as well mm. um boarding and, and alighting from trains that so it it's also partial to stringent um, regulations in in how you do mm. that so so it'd be interesting to explore sort of like some of you know how you know particularly you know for our members and smes is you know what what they can do to sort of you know not only to make their product more ex, ex, accessible and inclusive but also how they can help themselves by applying standards and, and things like that particularly we've got people listening to this who are thinking actually i could probably come up with a solution to that challenge mm. Yeah, I think we probably need to be maybe a bit more transparent as an industry of not just what our problems are, but, you know, what's what's the lay of the land look like? Um, you know, like I say, I was looking at the Bristol Innovation stuff the other day, and it's only when you look at people's applications where you think, oh, if we'd have told you this, you'd have probably done this differently. And actually, what information do we need to share when we put these challenges out there to really shape the responses that we get um so it is definitely a, a good challenge and something that we need to um think more about as an industry do you do you think that um you know as you know if we're setting that challenge do you think you know because i think it's interesting you're reflecting back on if you'd have given somebody more information and do you think you understand you know what information you need to give people to that challenge and equally do you think you know, particularly if you don't work within rail do you think even um smes and startups that are thinking about oh yeah i've got a solution that i think i could apply do you think they even understand that it has to be different when applying it to the rail probably not probably not to the extent that we would want um you know it's hard because it's only when when you look back like i was saying and you think oh that was so silly why didn't we tell people x um but you just don't you don't know what you don't know do you and it's only yeah. through that learning and disseminating information you know it's really important that you know we've done this innovation zone at bristol but there's other people who might do innovation zones and and sharing that learning and saying oh you know tell them about this or tell them why we can't do this or that we've already tried this and this didn't work but it could work if we did this um so it's it's working together as an industry more and working more with people you know who run these competitions as well and and starting to share information with them or or shape our ask more you know sometimes we put out such a broad stroke asks 
And if we just tailored that a bit more, then maybe um, you wouldn't get such a plethora of different things. You'd get more things that are really bespoke to what you need. But it must be really difficult as a supplier. You know, I, I do empathize with them because it is such a strange industry rail I guess we have so many different legislations and needs and safety concerns and and there's so much red tape that it must be very daunting as a supplier to think gosh I really want you know I've got this product and I'd love to see that at a station um and and you need people you know there's a, a great guy called Brian who who manages the, the Bristol one that I work on um, and you need people like that who are just really clued up and really um, great with talking to SMEs and sort of supporting them through that that process. Natasha can I ask you a question that's a bit of a leading teasing question is have you ever been told <laughs> you can't do something because of health and safety? Yeah yeah of course um <laughs> wondering about the random yeah. barriers you come up against when actually trying to do the logical thing of help with accessibility it's it, there's such a balance that you have to make because um you know there's things that you would do for the safety of disabled people for example that um that you're not allowed to do or that that would be you know frowned upon or or you can't do this because of this you know there's so many little you know loopholes that come around that say we can't do this because we do this because um and you know it's quite hard to say you know are we are we here to listen to customers or to just assume what they need and i think it's quite hard to get that balance right yeah, and it's it's really hard balancing against those different needs, isn't it? Because how do you balance that against what you what you were saying earlier, Natasha, about you know consistency across the station estate, isn't it? So exactly you know what to expect at every single station, you know that you you visit mm. to regardless of whatever your need is. That it all you know it all works the same, it all acts the same, but then they don't, do they? Yeah, and we we kind of expect our passengers or our customers to be experts in navigating their way around the the railway system, you know, because on Monday I'm at this station, so of course it must operate this way, but then on Tuesday I'm at a different station, so you know it's 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 got a different rule, and that and that's yeah, we've already touched upon rules, but you know, there are you know different rules everywhere according to which route you're on which type of station you're on whether somebody's done something or not done something Mm. we're coming to the end of our interview so i wanted to slip in a question which we ask all of our guests um you can pick how you want to answer this but it's a general question which is what advice do you have for either young people or new people to the sector join it's great um now it's such a it's such a lovely industry and you know what every day is a school day in rail you learn something new you know when you talk to people who've been here 40 or 50 years you know it's got to be quite good or people wouldn't stay that long would they it's it's, um you know there's some really smart people um who really do want you to succeed and there's so many different areas you know you might I'm not a trained girl when I first started um at Transpenine Express you used to fill in this um you know that questionnaire so members of staff could get to know you 
and um, and one of the questions was what's your favorite train station um, and I imagine most people write you know ones that have wonderful architectural um, elements or x y and z and I just put oh I don't really mind one with a pret you know it never <laughs> it was never something that I was you know really into trains or really into stations or anything I just liked accessibility and 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 stumbled into an industry that's great um so I'm I'm super grateful and I think you know whether you're working in law or accounting or you know whether you like social media or you know marketing there's all of them different roles within rails so don't you know don't strike it off as oh it's just something that you know people who love trains work in and everyone's you know obsessed with their favorite type of train which I do actually have now so there you go I'm adopted in but um <laughs> yeah I think it's it's such a, a wonderful industry and and everyone moves around and it is you know network rail has 44,000 people but it doesn't feel like that at all you know everyone's related to somebody or the wife of somebody and it's it's very sort of like a family really brilliant well you are very passionate and that is a wonderful message to end with um and I'm going to be looking out for these yellow lines all over the place on platforms now (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for your time and uh we'll speak to you soon thank you thanks for listening to another episode of what moves us we hope we moved you for more episodes you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel Till next time